0: guys. I'm fantasy author J.H. Fleming.
1: And I'm Philip Trader Duncan, and I like to draw the pictures in my mind, but on paper. (laughs) And with us, as always, scarecrows fear him, but turnips worship him. He is Christopher. Hi, Chris. Hi, Phil. All right. And with us today as well, you know, I normally say it's a very special guest, but this is actually the first guest I've never met before, so I don't even know if she's special. But with us is (laughs) Abigail Linhart. <laughs> Abby works part-time as a freelance ghostwriter, editor, audiobook narrator, and is one half of the partnership that owns Altered Reality Magazine. She hopes to one day make these passions her full-time job while she hunts for the next Bohemian adventure. She has published works of fiction, poetry, academia, and even won awards for her short stories in science fiction and horror. Her novel, The Trial of Two, was named an honorable mention in the Writer's Digest 2021 self-publishing awards. And won first place in the dark fantasy category in the Book Fest Awards. Abby is also a proud mom of two ferrets. She currently resides in Kansas. She is one of nine children, all who share the creative spark.
2: Hello. Hello. And confirming, I am very special. <laughs> okay, good. <Yes. laughs> good.
1: I was pretty worried about that going into it, to be honest with you.
2: I'll also jump
0: in and add to the special thing. Like I, I mentioned a lot on the show that I'm an editor on Fiber. And Abigail is actually one of my clients and don't tell my other clients, but she's my favorite. Her books are amazing. <laughs> You're my favorite editor. So it
2: works <laughs> out. You.
1: All right. This is already getting too gushy for me. <laughs> I have to tell you guys a story real quick, though. This is just a few minutes ago. So I had a few minutes before we started. So I was like, I just need to get up and get away from my computer. So I was like, I'm just going to walk around the yard a couple of times and hope I don't melt. And, as I was trucking along, all of a sudden I heard some dude like. So we live in a pretty big piece of land, but there's a highway that runs beside our property. So I was walking along, and all of a sudden I hear some dude screaming. Now, like, what is going on? Is it the neighbors or whatever? And then it's like progressively getting louder, and he's just like, "F you, f you, hey you, yeah you, stop, f you." I'm like, "What is happening? This is amazing." Is he talking to me? <laughs> uh, I don't think he was but he was on a bicycle on the highway and he was just cruising down the highway on his bicycle, screaming F you from like, I watched him and as far away as I could see him until I couldn't hear his voice anymore. He was still screaming profanities. Wow. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. I missed that completely.
1: I can't believe you didn't hear him. Cause where your office is at, like I, yeah, I would have thought thing. you heard him. I would have thought you were like, what is happening out there? Nope. What is Phil doing that idiot? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Let's talk about our guest of honor. J.H., why don't you fire us off?
0: OK, so first, I guess we'll do a little plug. And um, we mentioned, uh, well, Phil mentioned her season of the Runer book. I think I started with the second one for editing. I know I read the first one, but I think it's because you'd sent me the second one to edit. And I wanted to read the first to know what was going on, who these people were. Anyway, as far as the plug goes, your fourth one, which I just finished a little bit ago, will be coming out this November. So that's pretty exciting. I guess my question for you, like, so when I first started reading it, to me it had some similarities to The Witcher, but you definitely made it its own thing. When I read it, it's completely different. So I guess my question would be... Was The Witcher an inspiration or were there other inspirations for it? I know you have some different kind of mythologies and cultures that come in.
2: Your listeners can't see it, but I am wearing The Witcher pendant right now. <laughs> it's, oh, nice. yes, it is one of my favorite pieces <laughs> of literature. Also one of my favorite video game franchises. And the Netflix adaption was okay.
1: <laughs>
2: definitely a big Witcher fan. It definitely inspired it, but mostly just because I come from a place of I love monsters, I love cryptids and really the very first inspiration for it was the TV show Supernatural which okay. is very at least in the first 3 seasons very monster hunty and it also has a very endearing redneck quality that I like but that and I watch a lot of uh, ghost hunting channels on YouTube. I love the supernatural and I was watching a video one day and realized that a lot of the videos that came from the Middle East, those ghost hunters have absolute balls of steel. (laughs) They uh, where most people run away from the ghost or the djinn or the demon that they think isn't happening in the place these guys ran to the door and they would kick it down and start shouting scripture. And I (laughs) just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I would not run towards a door that just slammed or, (laughs) you know, something that fell over. Mm -hmm. And, and so then I just took all those things and was like, what if I tried to make something out of this? And it initially started when I was outlining the whole series for the first time, I knew I wanted to do five books But they were supposed to be like short little 60K, 80K little adventures. uh, Very sword and sorcery. And that didn't last even through book one. And so here we are.
1: (laughs) I've got that same problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think the last one was what, 150,000? Somewhere in there? Yeah, the third one is the longest at 162,000. Which Mm -hmm. isn't that long when you're like well i read sanderson and jordan like but i i have to pay for every word edited and every word put in the audiobook (laughs) yes (laughs) right
1: Uh, see chris it's not just me
2: yeah (laughs) yeah So you
0: sort of answered my next question, but um, I'll delve a little more into it. So you mentioned you knew you wanted it to be five books. Did you know like what the story was across those five books? Or was it more, I want to do five books and I'll figure out what each one is along the way?
2: So when I start, whether it's a book or a series, it's usually because I know exactly what happens at the beginning and exactly what happens at the very end. And I did have the ending for this from book one i wasn't sure how i was going to get there mm-hmm. and i didn't know it was going to be as <laughs> emotional as it's turning out to be but yeah i always plot everything from the start to the very finish if i don't know the end if i don't know where i'm going then i have a really hard time making a book uh be written <laughs> gotcha
1: that seems fair
0: mm-hmm. just
1: before the next question i don't think i've, no, I've not told this story on the podcast So I'm also a big fan of the Witcher series, the book series. I hadn't read it for a long time because honestly, the way like other people had described it to me made it sound like, I don't know, some kind of like He-Man thing, right? Or like some kind of Conan, He-Man, like this dude just, you know, rolling around killing monsters and sleeping with all the ladies and stuff. And it's just like, I love Robert E.
2: Howard. So that makes perfect sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, that doesn't, I mean all right, maybe at some point I'll get around to it. And then J.H. and I were at a convention in Memphis. And this guy came up and started talking to us. And he worked for, like, the Tennessee State Parks or something. He was, like, I guess technically, like, wildlife conservation agent or whatever. But he took care of buffaloes. Like, he had a buffalo ranch he was responsible for. That's what I remember. But anyways, he started telling me about The Witcher and how it was his favorite book series and how I had to give it a try. And so J.H., got me the first story collection, book one, right, for Christmas or something, and I finally picked it up and I read to the Beauty and Beast story. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we need to go to Barnes & Noble, I think, right <laughs> now, actually, because I think I need the entire series. And then it was the um, in the second collection, the, the mermaid one. Yeah. I thought the ending of that was so... Just utterly brilliant! That immediately, I didn't care what happened in the rest of it. I, it was just that one ending for that one short story made it one of my favorite series of all time.
2: That's fair. That's a good one.
1: And it turns out that the theme of the series is nothing to do with he man. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really, <laughs> it's really about claimed family, right? Which is a big deal to me. So that the theme was really about. Your family is who you can choose them to be kind of more than anything Mm -hmm. and and that that bond can be as strong as Mm -hmm. blood was really what pulled me into it, you know. But anyway, question is, you mentioned in your bio that you're a ghostwriter. What is that like? You'll be the first ghostwriter that's been on with us.
2: Oh, really? Um, Wow. What is that like? Well, it kind of depends on what I'm writing. I do love the act of writing. And so I think that makes me love ghost writing. I know a couple other ghost writers who are like, yeah, it's whatever and don't have a lot of feelings towards it, but I feel like I love it even though it is the hardest writing I've ever done. If I'm writing something simple like a modern day romance, that's how I got my start was I wrote an erotica trilogy mm-hmm. for someone, but then I got to move into things I like more like fantasy, but the fantasy can be very difficult. Mhm. I've done a couple series for people and when they come to me with an outline and they say, here it is, just write it. That feels so simple compared to when someone comes to me and they're like, I don't know, I want it to like have dragons or something. And then <laughs> <laughs> the next thing, you know, I'm world building. I'm making histories. I'm making characters. I'm doing everything I do for my own, but for someone else. And that can be really nerve wracking because I don't know if what I make is going to be exactly what they imagined, because I know first, I could never hire a ghostwriter because I'm too controlling of my own writing. (laughs) But if I did, I know I would do everything I could to make sure that it came out exactly like my vision. And and so I get nervous that I can't do that for some people. I mean, everyone says that I do brilliant work and that they love it. So I have no reason to think that. But I do every time anyway. I'm also afraid sometimes that I don't have enough details or that if I make up a detail to fill in a gap, that they're not going to like that. And then I have to go back and take it out and, you know, search for everything that had to do with that. And it's just a lot of work and a lot of anxiety. And for some reason, I love it.
1: (laughs) Sure. So are are these like, I just I'm completely ignorant to ghostwriting. So are these like contract jobs that you're taking where somebody like has an idea, but they don't? think they can write it necessarily. And so they contract you to write it.
2: Yeah. So kind of a little bit of that and a little bit of most of the erotica that I wrote for were just people who had, you know, masters in marketing Mm -hmm. and were selling thousands of books a month and, you know, they couldn't write quick enough. And so they hire five or six ghostwriters to write, you know, six trilogies under different pen names and that's how they make their money is by, you know, selling those books. So sometimes it's that. Other times it's people like, oh, I want to write this book, but I don't have time. Well, I know how much time it takes to write a book, so that's fair. Sure. And then, um, and then sometimes it's people who are like, I just don't know anything about writing, but I have this idea and I think it's good. And can you make it happen? And then I do my best.
3: Okay. So is it anything like the TV show from the 90s?
2: don't know that tv show (laughs) none of you do i'm not that much older i swear i was watching cartoons in the 90s i was way more interested in spider-man that's
1: fair yeah get it (laughs) spider-man series that was the best that and the x-men
2: i loved x-men love it
1: do you know they're bringing it back that's what i hear
2: that's i heard i'm very excited
1: yeah me too (laughs)
0: Oh, right. So another thing we mentioned earlier was that you narrate your own audiobooks. What is that like?
2: So I don't do my audiobooks or I don't do like my books. I read way back when I was first getting into narrating that you should never narrate your own audiobooks. And I couldn't anyway. All of my main characters are big burly men, (laughs) (laughs) which my voice is not suited to. No, it's fine. You can do it. Give
1: us your best big burly man voice. Oh,
2: I don't, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I don't have my pop filter on. <laughs> but uh, so I, I do other people's audiobooks for them. I have three more coming up here in a little bit. I just got done narrating The Shadow Sister by Kate Sager, which is kind of a romantic fantasy fairy dark thing they're very good cool i don't know how to describe them they just they fit into so many genres but i got finished with that i've done a couple for her i did um, a cozy mystery series a while ago that was really fun and i'm sad i'm not doing that anymore because it was it was such a good read but uh it's also really hard work especially in the summer because you cannot have your air conditioning on because my mic and software pick up, you know, they pick up my stomach growling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, in the summertime, it's the absolute worst. I have an ice pack that I put my computer on and I sweat. I'm fine with sweating, but have to make sure the computer fans don't run because those will get picked up. And I padded out a closet in my my house for an audio booth. Bought oh, nice. some uh, sound tiles off of Amazon and hammered them up on the wall, and that and my blue Yeti is what I use. Nice,
0: very
1: nice. That's what uh, that's what we're using.
2: We
0: have the same sort of issue we have been when I mean, you know, we were, we've been working on the novel, but we record in the same room that I'm in right now, and mm. we have to turn the air conditioner mm-hmm. off because it will pick up
2: everything. Mm-hmm. It like, gets so hot. Yep, I turn off all <laughs> so the fans and close the doors. <laughs> <You'll. and laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, when
1: we started the podcast at first, it was like, oh, turn off everything. And then, I don't know, several weeks into it, Chris was like watching us sweat. And he's like, you know, I can't hear any of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, it's not picking any of that up. And he's like, no, no it,
3: it picks it up. The dynamics filter that I use in the editing program kills the majority of it, though.
1: Oh, whatever. Nice. You will Al- elite Stark. <laughs> yeah. jokes from last week. All right. um, Tell us about Altered Reality Magazine. What is that?
2: So that is a online speculative fiction magazine that kind of fell into my lap. Sorry if you can hear the ferret he's digging in his water bowl.
3: No, no, no. (laughs) Pets are always welcome. Yeah, pets are always welcome. It's fine. (laughs) Even Mark had a cat, even though you couldn't hear it.
2: Oh, well, his name's Keen and he's back there.
3: Oh, oh
1: nice that's great
3: oh,
2: i love that he's a he's a good boy he's eight years old so he's a grandfather and he recently lost his sight but oh, that no. it hasn't mattered a bit
1: <laughs> do you know i had a, a roommate once that had a ferret and that ferret destroyed every hat i owned mm-hmm. and every xbox controller mm-hmm. so like It destroyed so many hats and Xbox controllers that year when we set up was like I was like 18 years old. Right. So we didn't have any money, really. We had a Christmas tree and it was like, what are we going to put on it? Because we don't have any decorations. So we used all the destroyed Xbox controllers and hats as our (laughs) Christmas tree decorations. (laughs) His ferret was a little monster. It'd go under the couch. You'd be sitting under the couch watching TV or something. And it would just like stick its head out underneath and like bite your Achilles or something and run away. (laughs) Yep, you know,
2: (laughs) little ankle biters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, sorry, altered altered reality magazine.
2: Right. So I have an acquaintance in the writing world, J.V. Hilliard, who I've worked with on a lot of projects, and he knew someone who had the magazine, and she had been running it for years online. And she was getting ready to retire from it, but she didn't want to shut it down. So instead, she gave it to him, and then he kind of gave it to me. And we work on it together, and we have a couple readers and a couple editors that work with us on it as well. It's a free magazine, so everything about it is free right now, except for all my time that it eats up. (laughs) I'm actually in the middle of editing for The Quarterly. It'll be out August 15th, and the theme for this one was Summer Camp Horror. Nice. So that, that's been really fun to read for and to edit for and to compile. Cool. But uh, yeah, we have a lot of people that she brought over that write serials, and uh, we post them up there. We have a few sponsored ads now, so we're starting to grow a little bit, starting nice. to get, get a little bit of traction. But yeah, it's it's really fun to work on, and again, a lot of work.
3: Very cool. So how do you go about altering this reality? Oh, man.
2: With gusto and with fervor.
1: This is why. Yeah, best <laughs> answer. This is why we have Christopher here for the bad jokes. <laughs> Captain bad jokes. That,
2: I've actually never <laughs> been asked that. So that's that's pretty great.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into some craft for a minute. Jay, you want to take the first one?
0: Yeah. um, So you mentioned a bit that, you know, you do plotting. How extensive is that plotting? Do you have any pantsing tendencies at all? And how, I guess, for world building, how detailed do you go before you start writing?
2: Hmm. So I'll use my Runer series as an example, since that's like the biggest thing I've worked on in a while. I am a 100% plotter down to the scene. So I plot... I start big, I do what's the beginning, what's the, you know, the middle peak, and then what's the end. Then I'll fill that in with chapters, and then I fill those chapters in with scenes. So I outline down to the scene. And I get all the time, oh well, I'm a pantser and I just let the characters do what they want. And that has its place. And to be honest, I do let that happen a lot. A lot of times my outline gets derailed. A lot of times I'm putting in tons of chapters or taking chapters out or uh, inserting little arcs or taking arcs out. I actually, I take out more than, than people think in one novel, I took out 40,000 words worth of, Oh wow. Of, uh oh. of, that's half a of,
1: novel.
2: Is, yeah. <laughs> well, the <laughs> novel still came out to 120 K so I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that that's the editing part. And really Outlining does not stop the flow or the natural progression or the my characters took over areas. The only thing that outlining stops me from doing is having writer's block. So every single day I sit down, I know exactly what's going to happen in these 1500 words that I'm going to write before I go to work. So I never, never am stuck. I'm a big fan of you can edit a bad page, not a blank one so even if i am like forcing these words out you know at 5 a.m. just trying to get stuff written before the day starts i know that i can go back and make them better or i can take them and put them somewhere else or just getting the scene out uh, really helps so yeah i'm a 100% plotter and i forget what you oh you said world building mm-hmm. when it comes to the runer series i divided it up the way it is on purpose so I only had to build one culture at a time.
0: <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> so, you know, the first book takes place on Elmira. The second book takes place on Gia. The third book is on Carwen, And then the fourth one's on Alika. And I did it like that. So one, it feels kind of travely, a little bit adventure-ish. Sure. But then also so that way I can slowly build up the world that it takes place in because everywhere in that world is so different. All the cultures mm-hmm. are vastly different. They have some of them have straight up different magic systems. They all have different beliefs. I'm telling this to you like you haven't read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. And- <laughs> well, you. Yeah, Chris and Phil haven't. The listeners haven't. It's fine. <laughs> and so I do save some of that world building for when I get to that book. It's not a spoiler or anything, but in book 4, The Cradle did not exist. Until I was plotting book four, so when I wrote books one, two, and three, didn't exist. Okay. And in fact, the only reason it does exist is because I commissioned some art from an artist on Fiverr who did a great job. He painted the Dynast Palace for me, and it was beautiful. And in the background, he had this big golden and blue orb thing that looked like a structure, and I was like, I don't know what that is. But I need it (laughs) 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 from his artwork came the cradle, which ended up being, you know, a a big plot point eventually in the end. Mm -hmm. Right. So so even though I am plotting, there's room for things to come in and inspiration to come from all kinds of places.
1: No, I'm right there with you. I always shoot. I'm like, ah, this book is going to be 80,000 words and I'm going to keep it at 80,000 words. Sure. And that never happens. And the last time I started a brand new novel, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let this one have its head. We're going to see where it goes. And now I have 270,000 words to edit. So that's not going to take the rest of my life.
2: You got to remember, you got to go back and go through every last one of those words. That's right.
1: Uh (laughs) Uh, When you do your do you do you write your first drafts by hand or all typing or how do you how do you get your words down?
2: typing entirely. My brain puts out words faster than Mm -hmm. my hands can type. And, uh, you know, I see that when I go back through and I'm like, Oh, I'm missing every article in this sentence. (laughs) 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 Um, Right. Right. There's, there is no way I could, I could write by hand. So I'm always typing. Okay. Very cool.
0: So when you're editing, what does that normally look like? And how many drafts do you typically do?
2: So my editing comes in stages, in drafts. So I write the whole thing before I do any editing whatsoever. I completely finish the first draft. Then I go through for my second draft, I do what I call my reading comment, where I read what I've written. I'll make some changes as I'm going through, fixing typos or adding sentences or or sometimes paragraphs. But then mostly what I try and do is leave comments like, oh, you mentioned this here. You need to go back into chapter Mm -hmm. four and make sure that it's Mm -hmm. established. So I'll leave those comments. That's what I call my second draft. Then I'll do my third draft where I go through and address those comments, adding in things, taking things out, moving chapters. Uh, One of my biggest examples of that is the I think it's chapter four in book three was initially the last chapter in book two. and My beta readers were like, no, 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 that takes away from the whole book we just experienced and shoves us somewhere else right in the last chapter. And it's not a good idea. And I loved the last chapter, but I went ahead and cut it anyway, but I held on to it. So my beta readers get my fourth draft. So I make four drafts myself and then I send it off to my beta readers. Sometimes I do alpha readers and beta readers.
1: What's the difference
2: just who comes first. Okay. Uh, so alpha readers will come first and then I'll make their changes and then send it to beta readers who come second.
1: I hear people use that that terminology all the time, like online. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. always like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what I don't know what alpha readers are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know what alpha readers are, but I've heard other people, they'll argue that like you are the alpha reader and everyone else is a beta reader. So i don't know i hear both
1: that's some next level pedanticism i don't need in my life also i don't know if pedanticism (laughs) is a word but i just made it one it is now hashtag pedanticism
2: (laughs) make a thing i it it works it makes perfect sense
1: i was actually gonna that was gonna be my next question was about you know when you open the door for your first readers. so you have a team you call your alphas that's a i'm assuming a select group of people
2: Actually, I only have one alpha reader right now because everyone else fell through. And to be honest, if someone sent me a 164K novel and said, please read, I would say <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'm right there with you. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very, very blessed to have the readers that I do. And I only have one from each group, but they're still just absolutely invaluable just because I do so many drafts myself you know you're you're your own worst editor you everything makes sense in your head and things i I took out i think are still in there and then i'll rewrite a chapter thinking that the x thing is still there and it's not and so they're um they're really great and i'm very lucky to have them but then i think jh you get about draft six is what ends up in your inbox Yeah, that's usually pretty clean by that point. I mean, it
3: must work. I haven't heard any fun stories.
2: <laughs> any fun stories? <laughs> I think I
1: think Chris was alluding to he hasn't heard any fun stories from from JH about your books. Bing.
0: Oh, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Not that she would talk about. I do have <laughs> any bad books that she gets.
0: <laughs> oh okay, gosh, listen, I've had some doozies. I'm going to be but... <laughs> honest,
1: JH is not the angel she pretends to be. There is one in particular that we have talked about on numerous occasions and I won't say names, but it's really 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 funny. Really funny. <laughs> it's so so here's here's the thing though, too is not
0: in a good way.
1: <laughs> they hired her to edit this book for this person. It was The most absolutely ridiculously bad thing ever. And it was so painful for her to go through it. And she did it. I've
2: I've had a couple of those.
1: So she did the job and sent it in. Right. And then they decided to reject Mm -hmm. all of her changes. And so
0: no, 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 no. That's not what happened.
1: Close enough. I've
0: had that happen. It's awful. Yeah, they published it with my changes. And then I think later the author took it out of the press and republished it themselves without any of my changes.
2: Yeah. I I have uh, one client that lives in my head rent-free because um, <laughs> I edit on Fiverr as well. And, you know, just didn't know the first thing about dialogue tags, like periods mm-hmm. and commas all in there together. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, he paid me good money to edit it and then left me a bad review and, Then Uh did not use any of the edits. And I was like, well, why did you do that? That was hundreds of dollars. (laughs) I don't understand.
1: I know a few like freelance editors who've been doing it for years and years. And like I saw one of them even posted on her Facebook the other day. She's like, listen, as an editor, I've come to expect that people are going to be jerks. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. I don't mind jerks. Because I'm just used to it at this point. However, and then she went on to describe how bad the client she had, like they, you know, she's like, she's a genre specific editor, right? And they hired her for a different genre and then didn't want to take any of her changes and uh, get over yourself, people. That's your tip of the week. Get over yourself.
2: (laughs) Well, and so here I've been in the publishing world and self-publishing and writing. I'm an editor. I'm also a writer to this day. When I get that Fiverr alert that says "consider it done," and I know JH has sent me back my edits, I still cringe and I still want to cry because <laughs> I know she's going to say <laughs> things in there that are going to hurt my feelings. But oh, I'm sorry. I, no, 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 no. You know, I love to suffer, but but I know it's going to be good for the book, and I know it's good for me as a writer to get this feedback, to make those changes, and you know going forward, it it does make me a stronger writer. And, you know, as an editor, I know that. But then, as a writer, it's like, oh no, she's, she's gonna say mean things.
1: If it's any no. consolation, I promise you that the things she says to me about my books are so much meaner. <laughs> I promise you. We can compare oh, notes no. sometime, sometime if you like.
3: <laughs>
1: this character's uh... stupid and I hope you kill her. <laughs>
2: I've left some comments like that on client work. Like, no, dumb. (laughs) Um, But no, I I appreciate everything you've done. And, and that that's just what I tell myself, you know, it's like, I, I know how much it sucks to get back edits, but it's gonna make the book so much stronger. And I hope Mm -hmm. I always tell my clients that I always tell them, take everything I say with a grain of salt but please know that I have the book's best interest, and nothing I'm saying is out of malice. I just want it to be stronger.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: same thing. I don't set out to try to you know trash mm-hmm. anything or hurt anyone's feelings or you know just be mean just for the sake of being mean. Like it's it's the same thing. I, I do want the book to be better, and if I ever do come across like oh that was kind of mean or cold or whatever like let me know i I did not intend it and i'm so sorry no 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 no.
2: it 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 never happens it's it's just the fact that uh you know they're they're my darlings but you know you need to have a thick skin you need to be able to take criticism Mm
1: -hmm. very true yeah very true agreed on that note do you want to ask the last question that we had lined up
2: oh
0: yeah so um any advice for new authors
2: My standby advice is outline, typically, uh, but I think I've hit that nail on the head several times. So my biggest piece of advice is if you want to write a book, you absolutely have to be a reader. Oh, I love it. Please read before you sit down to write.
1: That's my go-to.
2: Yeah. I've run a, a fairly active fantasy writers group on Facebook, and the topic of anime and writing came up. And I had to write a big long rant on my Facebook wall about how you can't just watch anime and then think you can sit down and write a book just because you get inspired, which is great watching you know those shows and the drama and the action and some of them, the, the world building and the magic. And people are like, oh, I want to do that, but I'm not an artist. so I'm gonna write a book. but it's so hard to write if you don't read and see how scenes are set up. See how hmm. action is written feelings, thoughts, you know, how to convey that this person is going mad and this whole scene is in their head. Uh, if you don't read and don't see that on the page, then you can't write it. Uh, you just can't. So that's my advice is if you want to write, read first.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll have that same Thing with, you know, obviously you can get inspiration from anything. I'll get some from you know, video games. Um, oh yeah. You know, get inspiration shows, from but everywhere. Yeah, and I think people experience that and if they're not a reader, they don't understand like, okay, you have this inspiration but you can't just immediately jump into it. There's a little more work you have to do. So like, you know, yeah. in our case, we're also readers so it's no big deal. But I think a lot of people who aren't readers, like they don't understand that part. Right. So that is exceptionally good advice I'd always say the same thing
1: no I agree I always say uh whenever whenever somebody comes up to me and they're like well first of all like I will straight just kind of be a jerk if somebody randomly comes up to me and wants me to read their stuff I'll ask them like how often do you read
2: Mm. and if the answer
1: is no then I'm like I'm not reading it and then even if the answer is yes I'm still probably not reading it just to be (laughs) real but I always say that like our our industry is very unique in that like people it's the, it's like the only industry, it's like the only art where the equivalent is is they're like they think they're gonna write a book and make a lot of money. And it's the equivalent of being like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs next year. And you're like, What? <laughs> do you play football? And they're like, No. Like, do you I watch a you, lot of football practicing?
0: though?
1: <laughs> have you been yeah. training? And they're like, No. And you're like, do you watch a lot of football? And they're like, eh, not really. I just, I'm (laughs) compelled to do it. Like, that's not how this works. Like, you have to practice and stuff. You have to get good.
2: In almost every case, you know. I'm from Kansas. I'm sorry, you're not the next Patrick Mahomes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, let's do the news. All right. So for our first news story... It looks like a judge out of New York has recommended a suit against Amazon as a monopoly. Apparently, this all started with a suit that was aimed at the big five publishers and Amazon for collusion. But apparently, the judge has recommended just pitching the whole collusion concept. I guess there's just not enough there to suggest that... There was anything nefarious, but the judge did say that they should pursue looking at Amazon as a monopoly in the book game, which I thought was interesting. And I guess the basis is still around book prices and things, though obviously Amazon is, you know, insisted that they're all in the up and up. So it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of this. I, I think this has sort of been an ongoing saga for a while back and forth and it's not really gone anywhere yet. So, I guess we'll see if this one does.
0: So, what is the judge recommending um as far as it's it's against the monopoly, what do they have like a suggestion of what should change?
3: From what I'm reading, he's just suggesting that they should go ahead and they have enough stuff to actually say the allegations can't just be thrown out out of hand. It's not even a, at okay. that point yet. It's just a matter of yeah, it looks like this does make sense to actually take court
0: gotcha. yeah okay for the next bit of news this one's actually a bit of a sad one so fantasy magazine which we mentioned arlie sorg and um, when we talked about world fantasy some episodes back he's one of the editors of that magazine but it is shutting down uh, apparently their last issue will be this october so um they just haven't
2: gotten enough traction to keep it rolling
1: that's a bummer we don't like to hear about yeah. things being shut down
2: can confirm. Running a magazine, even online, very, very difficult. Um, and yeah. can be disheartening when you don't see those numbers going up or interaction with the website going up, stuff like that. So that is really too bad. Sure.
0: Yeah. Like I said, we did meet Arlie at um, World Fantasy. Super nice guy. So I super hate that. I mean, you know, hate it anyway, but it's it feels more personal when it's, you know, people you know that are involved.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Arlie was... Uh, That dude was a hoot. I loved that guy. Mm -hmm. He was so much fun. All right. And our next one is Wattpad's publishing scheduler has launched. I have already said it before. I'll say it again. I never actually use Wattpad, so Mm I don't really know a lot about it. But essentially what this does is it allows, I guess, the creator to, instead of just having to hit publish when they're ready for their story to go out, they can you know, sort of schedule segments of their story or pieces of their story. So, you know, mm. you can kind of get a flow going. So that's cool.
2: That is cool. That'll help them compete with uh, things like Kindle Vela that allow you mm. to schedule things out several months.
1: Yeah, a, isn't there another one in the game for that? Because Wattpad's sort of like, it, it's just like Vela, isn't it? Where it's like you just kind of write your, like a piece of a story, you kind of mm-hmm. serialize the story through it. Isn't that what you do? hmm Yep. Okay. Cool. Nice. Oh, I gave JH All the right. hard one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a hard one. Uh, okay, I don't know how you pronounce this, so I'm going to do my best. Yeah, there you so, go. It's not hard. Right <laughs> <Ra-2> Alna you <laughs> Pulse Colding Group um, has bought audiobook company audio So I've never heard of this. I don't think Phil has either, but apparently it sold for about $18.5 million.
1: That's assuming I converted that correctly.
0: According to an article on Goody Reader, Audioteca offers audiobooks in 9 languages across 23 countries. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's a huge chunk of money. So my guess is they're going to be I mean have to be like a competition against Audible. That's what comes to my mind.
1: Obviously at this point nobody's truly competing with Audible, but it's good to know that there's another successful audiobook platform <laughs> out there. <laughs> And you know, I think it's obvious at this point, J H, that twelve episodes in, this isn't just about sharing the news. It's an excuse for us to learn about our own industry. Because I knew nothing about Audioteca. You were correct.
3: <laughs> okay. And if we need to double check that, Bunny is fluent in Polish and would actually be able to pronounce it if you would. Oh nice. Are you sure that's Polish? <laughs> Polska is yes. Poland. Yes. I it's, it's okay. can't confirm. Yes. My wife is fluent in Polish. Do I think that means Polish? I may not know a lot of words. I know when I can go, babe, babe, what's that say?
1: All right, well, just moving on from my dumb comments and Chris making fun of me. I know I've got the first AI story, Chris, but Mm. you know we've got to start the AI segment the right way. We do. We do. In our continuing coverage of our robot overlord, all right, so I've heard a lot of chatter. I did. I really do have some like pretty robust notes on this because I really went down a rabbit hole. And basically, I'd been hearing a lot of chatter about Grammarly and AI. Mm-hmm. Now, some years back, I played around with Grammarly a little bit. And what I used back then and what I still think of to this day as their core solution, I would not be AI, right? It's sort of... Um, in the same way that all cool software solutions use algorithms. Mm -hmm. That's what it essentially was, is algorithms to try to identify spelling errors and grammar errors, you know, spell checker on steroid, basically. Whereas an AI platform is supposed to be sort of self-learning, right? So in other words, like old school grammarly, They'd have like a little box I think you could check to say, I disagree with this. I disagree with this. And, you know, they would sort of collect that data and say, OK, in these instances, when sentences look like this, so many users have said this isn't right. So it was not like a self-learning process. It was a gather data, make changes process, which was the main difference to me. But anyways, I keep seeing all this chatter about Grammarly and AI and the other day, I saw a post from social media from Cat Rambo, and it was to the effect of Grammarly just announced that they've been using customer work to train their AI. If you still mm-hmm. use their service, stop now if you care about your copyright. Um, so at that point, I was like, OK, it's time to go down this rabbit hole a little bit and see if I can sort of figure out what's what with Grammarly and the whole AI thing. So here's what I found. Grammarly does now offer a sort of chat GPT type thing. They call it Grammarly Go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is a different solution than the grammar editor that I was familiar with, right? So now they've got multiple solutions that they have on option. So Grammarly Go, the description they have on their site is... Use Grammarly Go to unblock your ideas and enable accelerated productivity for teams and individuals. Click the green light bulb icon to compose, ideate, rewrite, and reply with an AI Mm. co-creator informed by your context and goals. All right, so that sounds to me, I guess, a lot like ChatGPT, right? So it sounds like they are promoting an AI solution. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, but what about our data? What about our copyright and all of that, right? And then the bigger question... Is, you know, really going back to that older solution of the grammar spelling checker thing, would that information be used to train their AI solution? I think those are probably the big questions. So I dug around through their site for a little while to see what I could come up with. And the one thing one thing I found is they have a comment in there that is. The first step is choosing high-quality training data for your system to learn from. In Grammarly's case, that data may take the form of a text corpus, a huge collection of sentences that human researchers have organized and labeled in a way that AI algorithms can understand. If you want your AI to learn the patterns of proper comma usage, for example, you need to show it sentences with incorrect commas so it can learn what a comma mistake looks like. And you need to show it sentences with good comma usage so it learns how to fix comma mistakes when it finds them. Like, okay, cool, that makes sense. That sounds like how, yeah, you would train an AI, but it doesn't really comment to, I guess, the sort of questions about like what data are they using or whose data are they using, right? Hmm. So I dug a little deeper and they have an FAQ for Grammarly Go. How does Grammarly Go use my data? And in there, I found a statement which reads, Grammarly's product offerings only access text when you have the product activated. So that either says a lot or it says nothing. I'm not sure which. Um, Another statement under the same section, any information used to power Grammarly Go, such as prompt type, prompt text, and the context in which it is used will be shared with our partners for the sole purpose of providing you with the Grammarly Go experience. We do not allow any partners or third parties to use your data for training their models or improving their products. Okay, so pretty adamant about the safety of your data, and that they don't let other parties use your data to train. But again, it doesn't specify if and how they're using your data to train. They had a link to their user-first approach to protecting data security and privacy, but again, that was really just all about protecting data, and I didn't really see anything in there about training AI. So the moral of the story is I couldn't find anything definitive on their website. I could not confirm sort of what she had said that they had admitted to that. I couldn't find anything to that effect. I couldn't find anything one way or the other, really. I did find an interesting article that had came out a few months ago, and that was on protocol.com. And the article was called The Grammarly Trade-Off, Is Better Writing Worth Exposing Business Data?, And according to the article, when people use Grammarly, a popular writing software, they grant the company permission to use the content they write in the tool to help adjust and improve its machine learning models. Another writing assistant, Brainwork, has terms and conditions requiring users to give the company irrevocable, perpetual, and worldwide rights to use, reproduce, and distribute the content they write when using the system. So it sounds like, based on this, that I would assume which I don't want to make really make assumptions at all, but it sounds like the author went and dug into the terms and conditions, which I have not done, so I can neither confirm nor deny those conditions, and I'm not going to take the time to go read through their terms and conditions. Sorry. In another section of the article, they... Quoted uh, an individual, and um, they said, They are taking copies of anything you're typing into their systems, Kasim said. For instance, when people use the Grammarly plugin while writing an email, you're mm-hmm. giving them permission to take a copy of that, she said. After this story was published, Grammarly objected to that description, saying that it does not store the entire content of documents in their original form. And then it went on to, How much of it is a big deal for companies depends on what data they work with, said Kasim. For instance, she said that while at a law firm like hers, Software would have to go through a vetting process to ensure it does not compromise the security of confidential client information. And I'm sure there are lots of companies where they don't care if you use Grammarly or not. So basically, that patent lawyer that they were quoting on there suggesting that Grammarly is using your data, Grammarly, of course, was not really completely disputing that, but sort of disputing it, I guess. I mean, technically, as long
3: as they rearrange your paragraphs, it was no longer (laughs) it meets what they said.
1: Yeah, that's probably fair. I think the most telling for me thing of all the rabbit hole I've gone down because I still obviously I don't have an answer to those original questions, but the one thing that piqued my interest was the article went on to state that supposedly as of 2019 Microsoft has not allowed their employees to use Grammarly. Now, could that be because Microsoft was pushing their own grammar helper checker that they've kind of tried to build out in Word, maybe? Or is it because they're a giant tech company that has a plethora of lawyers who read through terms and conditions and saw things they didn't like? I don't know. Mm. But that was the one thing to me that was like, okay, that sort of means something to me. If a giant tech company like Microsoft is like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to use that. Don't touch it. That maybe is telling. Yeah. So I never found a definitive answer about Grammarly. But I did go to check Pro Writing Aid because that's of the two of them, that was the one I liked more. So I just went and checked to see what what they have. And they actually have posted on their website, it says, quote, with Pro Writing Aid, your team owns your writing. We never use your data to train our AI and don't store your writing on our servers. So sounds like Pro Writing Aid doesn't do any of that. So there you go. That's my rabbit hole on Grammarly. You done? You're, you're good? I'm good, Bobo. I'm good, Bobo.
3: For AI's continuation with the visual artist side, the site Glasgow2024.org is indicating that the World Con for our futures, Glasgow2024, will not accept any artwork into the show that has any part generated by the text-to-image AI generation tools or any other generator that relies on other artists' images without express permission from the other artists, which basically is everything on the market right now.
1: Yeah, I probably should have clarified that one with you, Chris, because you didn't know, but this is the World Science Fiction Convention. Oh. (laughs) It's going to be in Glasgow, Scotland next year. Neat. Yeah, so this was their statement about um, art they're going to allow in the art show, basically.
3: Yeah, proof positive. I know jack about the industry. That's why I just ask questions and sit quietly.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: On that note... Do you want me to take this one for you? I'm ready. No, I got the, I Yeah, I do it.
1: All right, cool. <laughs> uh, Chris is currently undergoing a hard reboot at the moment. Uh, so our next AI story... Sifwa has compiled a list of what is essentially various authors who are a member of CIFWA. Their you know, blog articles and posts and things about AI. Sifwa has kind of collected those all into one place. We'll put it in the show notes. But if you want to see what other authors are saying and thinking about AI, it's a pretty robust list. You know, it spans for several months now of, you know, different science fiction, fantasy authors and their thoughts about AI. And it's on Sifwa's website. All right, and as Chris is still firing back up, our final AI story for this week. Um, I'm sorry, Phil, I can't do that. (laughs) I was just thinking I have an AI story I could tell, but then I was like, can I tell that story? I can't. All right, so anyways, this actually happened a few weeks back, but as promised, we will miss things on the show for sure. So what had happened was supposedly a bunch of AI books took some of the top spots in the Amazon sales rankings or rather the Amazon bestseller list, if you will. I mean, it was suspected that these AI titles, somebody was essentially using some kind of AI click farm through Kindle Unlimited to get a lot of page reads and drive Mm. them up and take over Mm. the bestsellers list. An indie author named Caitlin Lynch tweeted and said only 19 of the top 100 romance ebooks were legit. And it sounds like Amazon took action to remove all of those from the bestsellers' ranks, but all those mm-hmm. books are still available for purchase. And so I guess, you know, if that's what's happening, if somebody's using an AI to generate a garbage book and then putting it up for sale, putting it on KU, and then using AI to click farm the book and basically read through it to up your page counts. That's how they got to the top of the list. Now, one thing I'm pretty sure Amazon, when they catch any sort of behavior like that, they will just straight up cancel the account. And it's sometimes hard to get another account. So hopefully we don't see a lot of this. But yeah, I thought that was kind of scary. And that story came to us from Radar. All right, that's our news.
0: All right, for our tool segment. Abigail, why don't you tell us about some of your favorite tools to use?
2: So right now, my favorite or actually what's been my favorite for a decade now is Scrivener. I know a lot of people use Scrivener. I, I found out the other day that some people hate Scrivener and I can't imagine what? hating on that software. It's, that can't um, be true. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I've been using it for a decade and only this year did I find out that it has a revision mode. where where it uh, turns the the changes you make into different colors so you can track (laughs) the changes you make and I went wild with that on book four (laughs) book four literally like in Scrivener looks like a tie-dye curtain right now (laughs) because it's got six different colors in there But uh, I just, I love Scrivener because it's so versatile. I'm a big all-in-one area, one interface kind of person, and it puts everything right there. I can't work in Word anymore Mm -hmm. because if everything's just one long scroll, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what chapter I'm in or what scene I'm in because I have everything divided up on the side, you know, and knowing Mm -hmm. physically where I am at in the book really helps me mentally somehow. So I think maybe for visual learners, which I am, that kind of thing really helps me. But I also use it for outlining. I use their character profiles, their notes section, their places section. You know, I write outlines of different cities if I need to, if I'm writing in modern day or countries, if I'm writing my fantasy and I put that under there and just having everything in one place, including pictures, or you can import web pages. Mm-hmm. So I just go to this web page I have saved in Scrivener. Just everything is right there, and I, I love using it so much to the point where now I can no longer work in Word. <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> That's fair. I keep saying at some yeah, point I'm the same way. We have to reach out to Literature and latte and let them know that they should be paying us for <laughs> like all of our guests. are like like tools yeah. let's talk about Scrivener I love Scrivener
2: uh-huh. well <laughs> it's amazing. dang it I'm sorry I'm not no, special no, and dead. unique
1: <laughs> we established at the beginning that you are very special in fact <laughs> what about uh what about GIMP I'm interested to, to hear this one
2: so I'm gonna be honest I don't know what GIMP stands for I know it's something imaging something but it is basically a free photoshop right It is 100% free. And as far as I can tell, it can do everything Photoshop can do, except Mm -hmm. it cannot make print ready PDFs in a CMIC profile, which is so sad for me because I make covers in GIMP.
1: Okay, so you make uh, covers for your own books?
2: Oh, good grief. No, I'm not that good.
1: (laughs) No. I was going to say, you have some really beautiful covers.
2: Thank you. Mm-hmm. That is Andre Bat. He's on 99 Designs. And that's where I work with him through. He is an absolutely talented artist. The things I send to him versus what he sends to me as a finished product <laughs> are just wildly different. And I feel like I'm not very helpful to him. And then he'll send me back just this beautiful work of art. A couple of the covers I've loved so much I've had printed out without text and they're framed on my wall because I think they're that yes. beautiful um but no i'm not that talented um i did make the cover for aj Morgenstern has a supernatural horror trilogy and i made those covers and i think they're they're pretty cool but i love gimp because it's free and i always say if it's free it's for me <laughs> there are some limitations in there but really anything that you can't find within gimp someone somewhere has made a plugin for and you just download that plugin and Throw it in the the files and, you know, a lot of automations are that way. With GIMP, like a lot of things you need to automate, like shadows and beveling and embossing and all that jazz. But yeah, that's why I love GIMP because it's free and it's so strong. It's such a strong photo editing software. Cool.
3: GIMP stands for GNU Image Manipulation Program. As yes. in GNU Linux.
1: Abigail, what do you, so what do you use for uh, recording audiobooks?
2: So for recording audiobooks, I use my Blue Yeti microphone, my converted closet, and for software, I actually just use GarageBand, which comes free on my Mac, Mm -hmm. which was not free, (laughs) Um, but the (laughs) software is free, and about three or four years ago, I made a file that has all the mastering already done in it. Cause you can do that. It's a GarageBand is a DAW interface in itself. So you can do all the audio fixing you need pretty much before recording. I mean, obviously I still edit, but I just have it set up. So I just open the blank file with all my, my presets already in there and I start recording and that's what I use. And I use uh, usually the ebook I'll buy the ebook of the book that I am narrating because it tells me (laughs) how much longer I have in a certain chapter because sometimes that closet starts getting real hot and I'm like okay am I almost done I gotta be close to the end (laughs) and then uh, then I'll listen back to it I'll do tweaks and edits here and there you know like you have to like taking out breaths taking out sounds you have to do retakes messing with the audio just in general because oh my gosh ACX or audible rather you know has all these thresholds, you you have to jump in order for your audio to be perfect to be uploaded. And uh, those those hoops can be hard to jump through, especially since uh, one hour of finished audio takes me about four hours to make. Oof. So you usually pay your uh, audiobook narrators per finished hour. So, you know, my rates are disgustingly cheap right now because I feel like I'm not a professional yet, but they say if you're getting paid for it, then you're a professional. That's right. But uh, it's a lot of work. But that software, just being able to have all those presets makes it so much easier.
0: I use the same, um, actually the same setup of Blue Yeti microphone and GarageBand when we were recording my um, folk album. So Uh, I don't know nearly as much about the software as you do. I haven't messed with the DAWs at all. I actually have people I've hired to do the mixing and mastering. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would be interested in learning more about what it can do. It's very powerful. presets I can have going in. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's great um, if you can, you know, get past telling people, oh, I work on a Mac and, you know, (laughs) then they judge you. But it's such a strong (laughs) software And the fact that it comes free on the machine is is just, you know, even better. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) I will
0: say as far as the, you know, the judging about Macs, like I, I will tell anyone who says anything, I do not care. I've owned several Macs and several PCs. Mm. All of my Macs have been like so much better than any PC I've ever had.
2: The only reason I have a PC is for gaming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I have, a, I have a PC for gaming. That's it.
3: Dirty Mac users. Yeah,
2: I'm talking to you on my gaming PC right now because that's where the good chair is.
1: Fair <laughs> enough. All right, well, that will be our tools segment. All right, so for this week's Creatives on Fire, uh, I wanted to talk about I actually made an error last week in something I said on the podcast. That will happen from time to time. As also mentioned last week, I am uneducated and underqualified. That wasn't the mistake. (laughs) That part is true, which is why it's important to educate yourself on these topics. As I often like to remind everyone, I am not a financial advisor. And then also to the listener who called out the mistake, Thank you very much for pointing it out. That is very much appreciated so that I could attempt to correct it. So the mistake was when I was talking about my friend's credit card last week and I had made the comment that his 401k was stupid and that you know had to do with the $1,000 penalty. And then I made the comment that in my own, I could withdraw my contributions without penalty. And that wasn't quite accurate. When I said that, I was actually thinking about my Roth IRA rather than my uh, my Roth 401k. Because there is a difference and it gets a little wonky. So, I'm going to attempt to clarify this as a useful piece for people on the financial side of the things we talk about with investing and everything. So, also, just in fairness, I've not actually withdrawn anything from any of my retirement accounts. So, I'm speaking more to theory and what I've read and learned rather than actually having to do it myself because I haven't taken any of my money out yet. All right. So, first things first standard withdrawal penalty for 401ks and IRAs. So according to irs.gov, a plan distribution before you turn 65 or the plan's normal retirement age, if earlier, may result in additional income tax of 10% of the amount of the withdrawal. IRA withdrawals are considered early before you reach the age of 59 and a half, unless you qualify for another exception to the tax form. That was my IRS voice. That was my taxman voice. I was about Changes to ask, what before. is that I voice? Thought, <laughs> I thought that was a good tax man voice. That wasn't good?
2: Yeah. No, it was great. Well, um.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Abigail. It's nice to have someone on who isn't mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the IRS also has a list of what they call hardship distributions, which can allow you to avoid the 10% penalty that I just read in the funky voice. And there's other weird little things, but I don't want to get it all about. I want to keep it very simple. So there's basically four investment vehicles to discuss here and kind of understand the difference between you have the traditional 401k, you have the traditional IRA, you have the Roth 401k and the Roth IRA and the 401ks. Both of those would be like your company sponsored 401k. So you have a job that has a 401k that you can contribute to. The IRA stands for Independent Retirement Account, so that's something you go set up separately of your job independently, right? Okay, so I personally have all four of those things, so it gets a little squirrely for me on which thing. So when you hear the term traditional, we're talking about pre-tax, as in my investments come out before the government gets their cut of my paycheck. Pretty straightforward. So for either traditional, if I were to withdraw before the 59 and a half, I would get hit with a 10% penalty on top of having to pay taxes on that money still, because I haven't paid any income tax on it, right? So I've got to pay normal taxes on it, plus the 10% penalty, and that's on the traditional side. For my Roth IRA, I'm contributing to that when you're contributing to a Roth IRA, that is post-tax money. So in other words, you've already got your paycheck. You've already paid taxes to the government, and then you go contribute it to your Roth IRA. And this is the one I was thinking about, of course, when I made the comment about being able to take my money back out without penalty, because on my Roth IRA, I can draw down my contributions without penalty. In other words, if I have put $10,000 in, I can get $10,000 back out because I already paid taxes on that money. Now, let's say I put $10,000 in and it's grown to $12,000. Well, the 2000 that it's grown, if I drew those earnings out, then those would be subject to the 10% penalty and taxes and stuff. So money I've put in on my Roth IRA, I can take out without penalty. Any of its growth, if I sell that out and liquidate that and take that out of that account, now I've got to pay the penalty and taxes on All right. The Roth 401k, this is where it gets a little bit squirrely. So basically, all the rules I previously mentioned for the traditional and the Roth, they all apply here. It's very weird. So in a very annoying and confusing way. So I'm not even going to try to explain this myself. I just went and found what I hoped was a reasonable explanation from investopedia.com. And it says... You can withdraw a sum equivalent to contributions from a Roth 401k without paying a penalty or taxes because Roth contributions are made with after-tax dollars. Any distributed earnings, though, are liable for taxes and penalties. Okay, great. That sounds an awful lot like the Roth IRA, right? Except there is one catch. Early withdrawals, have to be prorated between non-taxable contributions and taxable earnings. To calculate the portion of the withdrawal attributable to earnings, simply multiply the withdrawal amount by the ratio of the total account earnings to account balance. Oh, what? So, here's the example. If your account balance is made up of $9,000 in contributions and $1,000 in earnings, then your earnings ratio is 10%. In this case, a $4,000 withdrawal would include $400 in taxable earnings. This $400 would need to be included in the gross annual income reported to the IRS on your taxes. There would also be a 10% tax penalty on the $400. There are no taxes or fees assessed to the other $3,600. If that broke your brain like it did mine, then I will try another example for you from The Motley Fool. (laughs) Any early withdrawals you take are prorated between after-tax contributions and taxable gains. If your account has a value of 10,000, 9,400 from contributions and 600 from investment gains, and you take a 5,000 unqualified withdrawal, then 4,700 is considered contributions and is not taxable. But that 300 of earnings is included in your income and you're subject to taxes and penalties on that amount. So, In the simplest terms, if you try to withdraw from a Roth 401k early, they won't allow you to just take your contributions. It has to be a split between your contributions and your earnings, and you are gonna get stuck with a tax penalty. Unless it's one of the hardship things. That is, I guess, how that works. And I actually didn't realize that last part about the Roth 401k and the wonky proration thing. So Glad somebody called me out on my errors. Please always do that. Just not this week. Let me go a week in between errors. Just so I don't feel completely broken. I don't want to end up like Chris, where I'm just smashing things and my chair's breaking and I can't contain myself on the podcast. Oh, no, it wasn't broken. These come off.
3: All right. (laughs) It, It sounded very dramatic when it happened. It did. They're
1: heavy magnets. (laughs) So this information, what does this mean to me personally? It really only solidifies my own personal current strategy. I am currently contributing to a Roth 401k. I will continue to do that. When we did the Authors on Fire episode where I really got into the investing and everything, I mentioned how whenever I leave an employer, instead of rolling my 401k into a new employer plan or leaving it as is, I move it to my IRA. If it's traditional 401k, it goes to my traditional IRA. If it's a Roth 401k, it goes to my Roth IRA. And that's just what I do, which allows me to control the investments and things. But then it also means that at some point, I don't have to worry about funky 401k rules because now it's living in my IRA. And there's all kinds of weird things you can do, Roth conversions and things. But I haven't done any of that. I don't know that I will do any of that. I guess if I get into it, then we'll talk about it on the podcast. But again, the general advice, of course, is to don't withdraw from your retirement accounts. And that is generally pretty damn good advice. It was just in this particular instance, my friend had an opportunity to get himself out of a lot of debt heartache. You know, we did the math on that. And, you know, even if he'd have been able to pay it off after that debt had dropped on him the following month, he was going to save like $3,000 probably by doing this longer term, having to pay it off over the course of a few years. He could have saved himself 10 grand by doing this. So. And again, always take my financial blathering as what it is. I am uneducated and unqualified, and you should go learn for yourself. Now, because this is Creatives on Fire, and that was a whole bit about financial stuff, just to bore you, let's bring it back to the writing stuff. I thought it would be fun to talk about pen names a little bit. Abigail, do you have a pen name you've used?
2: Actually, I just started a pen name. I'm a big fan of if you say something or put something out into the world, then you need to sign your name to it. And uh, so I do that with most of my, well, all of my, all of my books, all of my stories are under my name, except just this year I put out the first in my horror trilogy. I mentioned it earlier, talked about the AJ Morgenstern books, and AJ Morgenstern is my pen name. And I've been putting out or I put out the first book under that name. And I did it because I don't write young adult fiction. I'm not a fan of young adult fiction. I just don't mm-hmm. like it, but I'm, I'm not the target audience, right? I'm, you know, several years past that. And uh, the Morgan Stern books are young adult horror. And so to kind of keep it separate and just in case they turned out to be really bad, <laughs> <laughs> I put them out under a pen name. But I'm getting really good feedback on the first book in that series. And I did love it. It was it was great to write it. Very therapeutic. So uh, now I'm kind of like, dang, I should, probably should have put that under my name. But they're AJ's books now, so.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could always change it if you decide to, right?
2: Um, yeah, I, c- I could. But I also like having that other profile out there. Sure. And J.H.,
1: Anyone who's listened very closely to the show will know that at one point I referred to you in one episode by your real name instead of JH <laughs> at least once. Yes. Once that I know of. So you use a pen name as well. Why?
0: I guess I do. <laughs> I don't really think of it as a pen name because it's just my initials. So it's true. I, don't know, I guess to me, like a pen name is more like a completely different name other than my legal name. That makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. That's fair, and I can understand why you don't want the world to know that your first name is Jamira <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: the music video was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it.
1: I'm pretty sure that's a joke. Her real name is Her real name is Jabroni Hobbit no. Fleming.
2: <laughs> Jabroni Hobbit Fleming. I knew it. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well um
0: so to answer your question as far as why I use that I came up with it in college and at the time this was over a decade ago now I know I feel old but mm. so at the time there was still kind of that kind of stigma with like female authors and you mm-hmm. know you have like okay when you're submitting like male authors I don't know there was like this idea that they would they had more acceptance and they were Better, even though that wasn't true there was kind of like that idea so by using my initials I was able to kind of not necessarily like hide my gender but it, like at least for like that initial contact like you don't know what I am or who I am or anything so it at least get you to like you know flip the book over and see what it's about instead of just seeing like oh that's a female name I'm not reading that.
2: Yeah, I think about that all the time because my name is clearly feminine, and I imagine myself sitting up there on the shelf, you know, amongst people like Robert E. Howard, you know, Conan the mm-hmm. Barbarian, and and I like to think my books are in that vein. And I just I'm like, please, just let them get past the the author name, <laughs> and they'll see, yep. you know, that it's it's what they're looking for on the inside. And that's why I chose AJ because I was like, that's a very yeah. masculine name. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, it is. And I was just gonna add with that, so. I've mentioned this before, but um, a couple of my favorite authors do the same thing. So we've talked about Tolkien. So he uses his first three initials. And yes, those are all his initials (laughs) John Ronald Ruel Tolkien. And then, yep. And then um, C.S. Lewis or Clive Staples Lewis. They both use their initials. And, you know, not that they needed to. Um, They obviously wasn't for the same reason I did. They're both male. They didn't have that same kind of drive to do it for that reason. But, but yeah, it just, To me, it also gives it kind of like an author-y sounding name. Like some names you come across, like that sounds like an author name, whereas others you are like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just the person's name. So, yeah, that was kind of my motivation to go with that.
1: I think there's sort of three places that it kind of makes sense, and it's often very debated. I think you just touched on one of them really well. but I think there's two other good reasons. One can be personal, and I can remember... I can't remember where I was or who I was having the conversation with, but I remember, gosh, it might have been a panel even. I think it was. I remember there was a lot of people involved. So some years ago, I found myself in a situation where some author was basically saying that there was never any reason to use a pen name, and anybody who used a pen name was a coward and all these terrible things. And so I just sort of casually said, well, here's the thing. I grew up with a last name that didn't mean anything to me. I don't know a single person who has the same legal last name as me that I'm, I I don't know a single person I'm related to that has the same last name as me. Right? So when I came to write, I wanted a name that meant something to me. So (laughs) Duncan is the guy who raised me that I consider my father. And Dreyer is my maternal grandparents' last name. So I went with that because that was a name that meant something to me. It wasn't that I thought it sounded better or anything like that. It was a deeply personal reason that was very important to me. And, you know, before my grandfather passed away, when my first book came out, I can very clearly, the highlight of my whole author career was the moment my f- he was holding my first book and said, that's our name on a book. I'm very proud of this. I'm very proud of you, right? So I think there's a perfectly legitimate reason on a personal level to use a pen name and that anybody who has a problem with that is stupid. Now, from a business <laughs> standpoint, where there's a lot of debate is about using a different pen name for different genres. And where the debate comes in is some people would say it's fine to like do it in the way like Abigail did it, right? So she was completely changing genres and age group even, right? And then there's others who would say even if you write science fiction and fantasy, if you're writing a sci-fi novel and a fantasy novel, you need to swap between the two so that mm-hmm. you don't mislead readers. Personally, I'm of the mind that if you're like a science fiction and fantasy author, and your all of your stuff's aimed at adults i wouldn't change my author name for that because there's not you run into people occasionally who are like i only read fantasy i won't read sci-fi but the chances of them picking up your book and being mad because they didn't see on the cover that it was a sci-fi is pretty <laughs> slim right so I, I think it's okay within that sort of realm but I do think it makes a lot of business sense to do exactly what Abigail did, where if you're completely changing genres or if you're going to write nonfiction or whatever, then yeah, because what could happen with a. Her example is great. Actually, your example is great. Somebody, and I haven't seen the cover, obviously, but somebody could pick up that YA horror novel, look at the cover, and think, oh, this is Abigail. The cover's sort of a little different, but I'm sure this is still dark fantasy. Right. And then you could potentially maybe have some readers that aren't happy with you. But even that, I, I'm I'm not completely sold on. So I don't think there's a lot of debate about it, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as people make it out to be.
3: I will say that when I did used to read back in the day, I did pick up the girl who loved Tom Gordon thinking, oh, it's Stephen King. And I kept waiting for the book to get scary and it just didn't happen. <laughs> And I wasn't like horribly disappointed at the end, but I was like, that really wasn't what I yeah. was expecting.
1: Yeah, I think that's what, you know, a lot of times people are trying to avoid when they do the different pen names. For myself, if it's in the science fiction fantasy realm, it's going to stay Philip or Duncan. The side projects I do, you know, like I've had a chance to do some of the pulp stuff and I even did a Western. I've done some historical fiction things as short stories. Any of that short story stuff, I'm still just going to keep the Philip Dreyer Duncan name. If I went to write a full blown, I can't imagine me actually writing fiction outside of science fiction and fantasy. So I don't even do that. If I write a nonfiction, though, like at some point I might compile all my notes from Creatives on Fire and I might put that out. And if I do, possible, I might use a different name then for business sake just to, I don't know, but I might not, right? I don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm.
3: Fiction outside of science fiction and fantasy is just the news,
1: right? No, there's romance too
2: yeah oh yeah.
1: okay <laughs> um any other thoughts on pin names bl bl 407 that'll be my <laughs> pin name <laughs> that's my favorite pen, abigail your... it is the pentel bl 407 yeah. okay
0: i was gonna say phil your chosen erotica author name is still one of my favorites Oh. Well,
1: we're gonna keep that we're gonna if keep that to ourselves for the moment.
0: <laughs> he already has one picked out that he's not used I, yet.
1: I do, and it's so good. I'm not gonna say it on the air though. Then it'd be a dead <laughs> giveaway if I ever use it. <laughs> All right, and on that note, Abigail, tell the people where to find you.
2: The best place to find me is my website, which is just abigaillinhart.com. Which, for those unfamiliar with German spelling of things, that's A B I G A I L L I N H A R D T dot com.
1: All right. And when does the next book come out?
2: Well, uh, AJ has a book coming out in October. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, then uh, my next book in my Season of the Runer series comes out in November. And all my Woo! books are paperbacks, hardbacks, ebooks, and audiobook. So if dark fantasy is your thing, then uh, definitely pick that up. All
1: right, J.H.?
0: I am at jhfleming.net. I'm on all the social media sites. Um, I'm on a ton of music sites now with the different singles coming out. And I'm also Fiverr as an editor, as we've talked about multiple times at this point. And I'll go ahead and mention now we have, because by the time this airs, it'll be a day away. So I have a um, new single coming out next week. So be sure to check that out. Woo-hoo.
1: All right. And I am Philip Dreher Duncan. You can find me at com or futurebestsellerpodcast.com. I don't remember the web address all of a sudden. I kind of I had a Chris <laughs> moment. Futurebestsellerpodcast.com. <clears throat> oh, he's alive again. And if anybody wants to talk to Chris, I don't know, based on whatever's going on with him tonight, if you want him, send me a message. I'll, give me your address. I'll pack him up and send him to you. <laughs> he can find his way back home it'll be fine thank you (laughs) abigail it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you for coming on our show Mm -hmm.
2: thank you for having me it's been such an honor and a pleasure talking with you guys
1: you as well thank you so much